morning everyone and very welcome to our service this morning and uh, just anybody that's watching online also you're very welcome to join us this morning and I hope that God blesses you in this service. It is with deep regret that I announce the passing away of Clive Gilliland. Clive went to be with Christ this morning. Some of you probably have met him. Um, he started coming recently to the church, maybe about three months ago, and was quite ill. But when he could come, he used to sit down there at the back. And um, our thoughts and our prayers go out to Graham, his son, and Rachel, and Audrey, and John, and David, and Victoria. Um, I have a few announcements here this morning before we start our service. Uh, first of all, just to say thank you very much for, to all those who helped in any way. Uh, yesterday at the afternoon tea, there was a lot of work put into it, and uh, the amount raised so far is £1,350, so thank you very much uh, for your generosity as well. Um, the PW Circle of Friends meets tomorrow evening, and the Men's Fellowship meets this coming Saturday. Uh, please see the order of service for details for that. Also, if there's anyone who is able to be part of the welcoming team, uh, to let, have your name put down on a rota, uh, it's a very important part that uh, people feel welcome as they come into the church. Um, please get in touch with Karen Woods if you're interested in that. And also, we're trying to want to build up our little worship team band. Um, so if there's anyone who plays an instrument or is learning an instrument, uh, or would like, young people especially, who would like to be involved in singing at the front here to lead the worship, please, please speak to Billy or speak to Karen about that. We'd just love to have you on board, even if you're in grade one uh, in, in your guitar or whatever. We'd just love to have as many people, young folk, involved as possible. Um, okay. A reminder just that Messy Church will take place next Sunday afternoon, and if you haven't passed on a flyer, please take one with you today. Um, finally, I'll be on leave from Wednesday the 8th of March, uh, returning to work on Tuesday the 14th of March, and if anyone needs the service of a minister during this time, please contact Billy Hindman and Dr. Norman Hamilton uh, will, has kindly agreed to take next week's Sunday service. Now, just one more announcement, which is a very important announcement. Um, on August the 12th, 1981, Jennifer Cardy was only nine years old when she was abducted on a road near her home in Ballanderry. Jennifer left her home to cycle a short distance to meet her friend. Her red bicycle, which had been a birthday present two weeks earlier, was found thrown over a hedge near her home. After a huge operation, her body was found at McKee's Dam near Hillsborough six days after she disappeared. A man called Robert Black was convicted of her murder. It is a parent's worst nightmare. And amazingly, the family were so strong, and her mother, Patricia Cardy, wrote a book called There Came a Day. It's a testimony of how God gave her and the family strength to begin to live again. Unfortunately, Patricia Cardy, or Pat, passed away about a year ago, but Andy Cardy will be coming to us here at Ballycrocken Presbyterian Church 
on Sunday the 26th of March at half past seven to tell his story, to tell his journey. We're going to have it as informal as we possibly can. I hope uh, you'll come and hear for yourself what is going to be an emotional roller coaster ride, but interesting, an interesting account from Andy himself. And of course, it's uh, Karen Carty's father-in-law. Now you'll have this, you'll see these wee flowers, each order of service, within each order of service, there are three. Um, we're not asking you to do an awful lot of uh, posting them uh, or visitation. But if there are three people, just three people that you could give it to, could be a neighbor, could be a workmate, could be somebody, a friend or family member, just if you could use those three that you've got in the order service to hand out, to invite people along. Want to use this as an outreach. I've been in touch with Silverstream. I've been in touch with uh, uh, Neil Watson also from Ballycrocken. And he's actually canceled his service that evening to allow his folk to come and, and listen to Andy. So please come and please uh, come and encourage others to come also. It's a story that probably many, well, many people of a certain age will know about, but also we're wanting to advertise it for younger folk as well, that they might know a little bit about what happened and come to that. So let me just start our service this morning. Um, I just want to read 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 24. Paul says, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Today we're looking at Jesus died to make way for our life, to give us life. Let's pray. Father, we just want to welcome you here this morning. Lord, we want you to feel comfortable in our presence, and we want to be comfortable likewise in your presence. I pray, Lord, that everything that is said and done and prayed today may be for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. We're going to stand, we're going to sing, God forgive my sin.
you'd like to turn in your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you this morning, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Luke 7, verses 36 to 50. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You do not give me any water from my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And this is the word of God. Now, if the boys and girls want to come down a wee minute, down to the front. Got a wee story for you. Any more coming down? <laughs> no? Okay. Okay. Well... Now, this is not an advertisement for Purcell, by the way. <laughs> Purcell, non-bio, tough on stains. I get a wee bit of commission, maybe. But this is what cleans your clothes. Have you ever come in to the house, mucked to the eyeballs, covered in mud? Have you? We'll just have a wee slide up here. Like this wee boy here. No. No, we'll try again. <laughs> There we go, there we go. I used to sometimes love getting mucked up. I hated having white shorts. If I ever had white shorts, I used to slide down a hill or slide on the grass to make them all nice and green and make them all nice and mucky. And I used to come into the house and my mom would go, Mark, look at you, look at you, you're mucked to the eyeballs, whatever that means. Have you ever had your eyeballs mucked? No? <laughs> No, she used to say, you're mucked to the eyeballs. Get those clothes. And she'd put them in the washing machine and she'd wash them and they'd come out clean. But if you go even further back to my granny or my great granny, do you know how they had to wash? They didn't have any washing machines, so they had to actually take... 
something which was very, very dirty. The likes of this, this is a white shirt and all dirty and stained and awful and used to put it into a basin and then they'd have water in the basin and then they'd pour something like this in and she'd have to stand scrubbing it, scrubbing it, and scrubbing it and scrubbing it and then it would all be clean and I have one I did earlier <laughs> here it is <laughs> That looks like a brand new shirt, doesn't it? And the thing about it is that when we ask Jesus to forgive our sins, it's like he cleans us completely so that it doesn't even look dirty inside at all. Now, the Bible often refers to sin as stains. But they're not stains outside, they're stains on our heart that when we sin, we have all these blotches like that on the, on the screen. And even David, who was such a good man in the Old Testament, he asked God to give him a clean heart. Lord, please clean, cleanse my heart completely. Now, I read a wee story there. Um... Were you listening to the story I read? Were you? Were you? Okay, well, it was a story about this religious leader, and he was in his house, and he'd invited people in, and one of the people he'd invited in was Jesus. And Jesus was sitting, eating, and they were discussing and chatting. And this woman came running in, and this woman was known for some bad things that she had done. People in the community didn't want to talk to her. They'd point the finger at her. They'd talk behind her back. They'd call her names because of the things that she'd done. So when she ran into this room and Jesus was on the floor eating with Simon, the name, the name of the religious leader, and everybody around, and they were going, it's that woman. What's she doing in here? Get rid of that woman. That's ridiculous. Jesus should know who that woman is. Get her out of here. This is ridiculous. And she came up and she was listening to what Jesus had to say and standing just behind him. And she was so sorry for the things that she'd done wrong that her tears just, she couldn't hold back the tears. Her tears started flowing down her cheeks and they started dropping in front of her on Jesus's feet. So she got down, probably quite embarrassed, but still crying, and she had an oil of perfume, and she started to put perfume on Jesus' feet, and she started to dry his feet with her big long hair, she had long hair, drying his feet with her tears, and she couldn't stop crying. And Jesus knew that the, everybody else didn't like this woman especially the religious leader. And he turned around to the religious leader and he said, Simon, when I came into your house, you didn't wash my feet. You see, there were some things done in those days that if you were a guest and you come into somebody's house, it's like asking somebody, want a wee cup of tea and a digestive biscuit or a crust custard cream? Being hospitable, they used to wash the person's feet because they were covered in sand. They'd also anoint them with oil as, an, as a, you're welcome in our house. And Jesus says, Simon, when, you, when, when I came in here, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't give, anoint me with oil. 
But this woman that's come in, she's been washing my feet or with her tears and drying them with her hair. And Jesus turned to this woman and he looked straight in her eyes and he said, your sins are forgiven. Totally clean. Washed away. Not one, not even a slight stain on her soul or on her heart at all. And that's what Jesus can do. There's a little verse, I love it. I love this verse from the Bible, from Isaiah. God says, Through, though your sins be, are like scarlet. What's scarlet? Anybody know what scarlet is? What's, that's a fancy name for a type of color. It's like your jacket, red, red. And it stands out. If somebody, yes, it is a lovely jacket. If somebody paints a door red, you're not going to walk into it. You're going to see it. It stands out. And what God is saying, though your sins are standing out, though your sins are so clear, the stains in your heart and your soul are so clear, they're like scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. They will be as clean as cleansed. Because that's what Christ does. And you know what? He... It's all because we have this cross up most of the year. And it's only because of the cross of Jesus Christ that we can find forgiveness from God. Because Christ dying on the cross for us took the punishment for our sins and cleared the way for us to have eternal life and relationship with God. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that brilliant? Now, I'm just wondering, what am I going to do with all this water? I was hoping there'd be more of you so I could spray you all. What about this, Will? <laughs> okay, now, the thing, because the cross is so important for forgiveness, there's no other way to find that forgiveness because the cross is so important, Paul said, we preach, we preach Christ crucified. We preach the cross. We preach the cross. And everywhere he went, he preached the cross. He preached the cross and shared the, the death and the life of Jesus with everyone. So that's what we are called to do in our community and even out into the further out into the world. So... I found this little song, which we're going to learn this morning, but you can sing it if you know it. But if you, we'll just remain seated and listen. It's about sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone we meet. Okay.
Okay, there's wee rubbers here. If uh, anybody else would like one, would you like a wee rubber? Okay. <laughs> Comes in handy at school, doesn't it? Do you like a wee rubber? There you go. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, anybody else? Is there another? Here, would you like a wee rubber? No? <laughs> okay. You don't like school? Okay. Okay. So, boys and girls, I hope you have a lovely time. We're going out to Sunday Club now. Yeah? Going to have fun. Can I just say thank you from the bottom of my heart? Because about, I think it was three weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, you sent me around a little piece of shortbread with loads of icing on the top and marshmallows. And see, that was at the end of the service, and I haven't had so many people coming around me because they wanted a bit of my shortbread, but I didn't give them any. <laughs> but it was lovely. It was lovely. Thank you. Have a nice time at Sunday school or Sunday club. Now the offering uh, is going to be received um, as the video was played, nothing but the blood of Jesus.
Let's dedicate the offering. Father, we thank you for people's generosity in this church, Lord, again and again and again. Well, Lord, it's for a good cause. We pray, Lord, that this offering would be used to bring Jesus Christ to people's doorsteps and, Lord, into people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I'm, I'm sure um, your hearts have been with uh, those folk that are working so hard in Turkey and Syria with Samaritan's Purse and Tear Fund and Christian Aid. Um, I got a, a letter, I'm going to read just not all of it, but a bit of it to you from Gillian Gilliland during the week. Um, she said, we well, thank you for your continued prayers for our work in Turkey and Syria. The needs we are encountering there are great, and as we move past the initial aftermath of these earthquakes, we're looking beyond emergency medical care and starting to meet other needs. This week, we began distributing temporary shelters to families who have lost their homes. Providing a safe shelter, protection from the elements, is essential for those who have lost everything and have nowhere to go. Today, a team of staff and volunteers in our Midlands warehouse begin making up hygiene kits, which will be sent over to Turkey, helping people to keep clean and avoid illness. One of the major concerns following a natural disaster is the prevention of infectious diseases. And with so many displaced people in makeshift accommodation, hygiene becomes vital to avoiding the spread of infections. It's also a key part of restoring dignity and control to traumatized survivors. We never underestimate the power of a shower and a comb in these situations. Our emergency field hospital pharmacy is busy filling prescriptions for people who lost their medication in the earthquakes, diabetics who need insulin, for example. Please continue to pray for our staff and volunteers in the field. They give up so much to travel to a disaster zone, and the work is physically, emotionally, and spiritually draining. Pray that they would know God's strength as they serve, and pray also for their health. In the last week, an infection has spread through the hospital staff, affecting some more severely than others. One of our UK DART members had to travel home in order to ensure she recovered fully. Gillian also sent a little short video, which we're going to watch. Just it's quite an emotional video. It's about a wee boy that was brought uh, to the emergency field hospital um, in need of urgent care. This week, early in the morning, a lady brought in her son, and the patient was having very difficulty in breathing, and was diagnosed with a chronic asthmatic attack. His SATs were between 44 and 60 percent, which was an emergency kind of situation for a pediatric child. Physicians and nurses appropriately treated with antibiotics, albuterol, and other things. So I brought the child back to the OR, and after about two or three hours, we broke the asthma, and uh, he was able to go to mask with 100% air and have 100% sat. It's part of our 
tradition as anesthesia providers, we do not leave our patients. And for me, if I have a critical child or patient, I'm not gonna leave him. So the next day, he developed a big left pleural effusion. And so if he was not held upright, he would not be able to maintain his oxygenation. And so even if you laid him down or laid him back, his sat would drop in the 60s and 80s. So all the staff here took turns, build team. Are you okay here for like 20 minutes? Wash team, Edward Graham, all of them took turns holding the baby upright so he could breathe. And there came to a point where we just decided it was time to move him to a pediatric ICU at a Turkish hospital. It's always an honor and a privilege to be able to be God's hands and feet in a broken world. It's an honor and privilege to take care of him. continue to do a fantastic job out there. Let's pray for them. Father, we pray for members of the DART team and the difficult job they have to do and how they feel physically, emotionally, and spiritually drained. We pray that you will be their shepherd and their guide as they try to meet the many varying needs of the people. Please make them lie down in green pastures in places of rest and beside the still waters, restore their souls. Give them time out, time to recharge the batteries and to process what they have seen. Please be their rock, their place of refuge, their strength. We pray for the person who had to go home to recover from an infection. May their recovery be quick and full. We pray for the families who have lost their homes as they try to readjust their lives to living in temporary shelters and come to terms with family members lost. We pray that the hygiene kits being made up by Samaritan's Purse may reach the right people and be used effectively to help prevent disease. We pray that you give staff at the emergency field hospital pharmacy who are presently working so hard supplying people with their prescribed medication, give them strength to keep going. We pray also for Graham and Rachel and Audrey and John and David who have become dear to our hearts over the last year and who presently wait, for the, wait just for the funeral of, of Graham's father, Clive, to take place. Lord, we pray, God, that you would give them peace of heart and assurance of your presence. We also pray for Ella Motum and her family after the funeral of Arthur yesterday. May they know your presence and your strength at this time. And we ask these things, Father, knowing that you will answer. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. going to stand now. I'm going to sing, uh, Jesus, keep me near the cross.
Ephesians 6, uh, verses 10 to 14. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For a struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Because of what Paul has been through, you'd expect Paul to be saying, we wrestle against flesh and blood, we really do. He's in prison in Rome as he writes this. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 11.25, he says, Three times I've been beaten with rods, and once I've been stoned. You may remember in Acts 14, seeing Paul being stoned by Jews, and then he's dragged outside the city of Lystra. They think he's ready for dying. They think he's gone, and they just deposit him like a piece of rubbish. He's got scars all over his body. He's been in and out of prison. We'd expect him to say, watch out for the flesh and blood. Watch out for those who can kill and those who will hurt you. But Paul has enough spiritual discernment to know that although Satan can use men and women to inflict hurt and pain, that our battle is not with them, he writes, we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the spiritual forces of evil. Paul knows because Paul was once on their side. He knows because he was once on the side of the evil spiritual forces being used by them. As a Pharisee, he was passionate about torturing followers of Christ and throwing them into prison. As Stephen was being stoned, he held the coats of those who were stoning him. Paul recognizes that we're in a spiritual battle, and for that battle, there are two things we need to know. First of all, where our strength for the battle comes from. He says, it's not of ourselves, it's of the Lord. He writes, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And secondly, he says, we need to know how to use God's armor. Put on the full armor of God. Last time we were looking at the belt of truth, we were looking at the need to be honest with others, to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with God, and how that this belt of truth refers also to the Word of God, and how that it's the belt of truth that every other part of God's armor is attached or clicks into. Every other part of the armor finds its position in relation to the truth, the belt of truth. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And it's the breastplate of righteousness that I want to look at this morning. Um, another crucial part of the armor of God, very crucial, the breastplate was a metal piece um, which covered the front of the body. It protected the vital organs, protected the heart and the lungs. If you, if you got wounded in the leg or the arm, you could live to fight another day. But if you got an arrow or a sword through the heart or through the lungs, 
well, your chances were slim of survival. The breastplate protected the vital organs. I want to look for a moment at the word righteousness. Righteousness as is used in the New Testament. The word righteousness, when it's used in the New Testament, it's used in two ways. First of all, to refer to the righteousness of God. Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, he speaks of the righteousness of God. Romans 3, 26, Paul speaks of God's righteousness. Righteousness defines who God is and how he behaves. Referring to God's moral character, the righteousness of God. Paul says he is righteous. But the word righteous in the New Testament is also used to refer to man's righteousness or his lack of it. In Romans 3.23, Paul, quoting Psalm 14, he writes, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who does good, no, not one. He's stressing, in case we think that we're an exception, he's saying there's no one upon this earth who is righteous. Born in sin, we live in sin, it's natural to us. And before we go on the defensive um, about how good we are, Isaiah points out that even the good that we do is disfigured by sin and selfish motives. Isaiah 40, 64, 6, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. There is none righteous, no, not one, says Paul. But Job asks a, a very important question. In Job chapter 25, verse 4, how can man be righteous before God? Well, I'd like to ask a question just before that. Can man be righteous? Can man stand and be righteous before God? Well, the answer to that question is yes, he can. Well, the next question is the question Job asks, how? How can man be righteous before God? And I think it's one of the most important questions that anyone can ever ask. How can a man be righteous before God? Man's natural status before God is that of being unrighteous. His natural status is that he lacks righteousness. There's none righteous, not even one. So therefore, his righteousness, man's righteousness, must come from outside of himself. Allow me to read to you probably what is the shortest, most succinct message of the gospel that you'll find in the New Testament. And it's 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of man is righteousness that is given to him. It's accredited to him. It's ascribed to him. It's not something which is naturally his, but it's given to him. But how is it given to him? And it's what theologians call imputed righteousness. 
It's a righteousness which is ascribed to a believer that comes only through the cross and from his own faith response to what happened on the cross that day. It comes from outside us. It's not intrinsically ours. It comes as a result of what Christ did on the cross. And then what we have to offer is nothing apart from a faith response to what happened that day. Paul in Philippians 3 verse 9, he writes, he doesn't have a righteousness of his own. He says, but that which is through faith in Christ. It's given to me, says Paul, as a result of my faith in what happened on that day. So let's just, let's zoom in on the cross then. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ became all that we are, that we might become all that he is. It's known as the great exchange of the cross of Jesus Christ. He became all that we are, that we might become all that he is. You see, Jesus died on the cross not just for your sins. He did die for your sins, but it goes deeper than that. He became sin. He became sin. Your nature and my nature was put on him at the cross. The dirty, sinful nature of Mark Shaw was put on him. He became sin. And as a result, the furnace of God's judgment was increased hotter than it had ever been. Because it wasn't just my sin that was on his shoulders, but the sin of every man, woman, and child who's ever lived, whoever will live. And the furnace of God's judgment was increased to red hot. And Christ therefore cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And what Christ is saying here is, Father, we've been together for all of eternity. We've shared everything together. We've had communion and fellowship and closeness for all eternity. And now I cannot sense you anywhere. Now I'm utterly bereft of your presence. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, the sins which separated us from God, which caused a barrier, they're the same sins which on the cross separated Christ from his Father. When God looked at his Son on the cross, he saw an adulterer, he saw a liar, a cheat, he saw a self-righteous person, a self-centered, greedy individual, a drunkard, a thief. On the cross, he became all that we are. 
And the sins which separated us from God separated Jesus Christ that day on the cross from his Father. It was my sin. It was your sin which separated Jesus Christ from his Father that day at Calvary. Christ had never sinned. Of course he had never sinned. But our sin was accredited to him in the same way that we had never been righteous. But his righteousness is accredited to us. It's the great exchange of the cross of Jesus Christ. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. See, the main reason that Jesus Christ came to earth was not to get you out of hell and into heaven. The reason he came was to restore the image of God in us, to declare us righteous, just as God is righteous. And the consequence of that is our entrance into heaven. But the purpose of the gospel was to restore and renew in us the image of God, that God could come and live in us and live through us, and that we might be declared righteous before God. This is also referred to as justification. Now, justification is a legal term, and it means justice has been satisfied. Many years ago, when there was still capital punishment in Scotland, when a man in death row was eventually hanged on uh, for his crime, outside the prison there was, a sin, there was a sign pinned up on the wall letting people know that the hanging had taken place. And the sign said that on such and such a day, at such and such a time, Mr. Joe Bloggs was justified. That was the term used, meaning the case is now closed. Justice has been satisfied. This case will never be opened again. It's been dealt with. It's been done. The moment the man died, justice had been satisfied. And Jesus Christ who became sin, who'd taken on all that we are, the moment he died, that very moment, justice on our behalf was satisfied. The case against us, once we respond in faith to what happened at Calvary, the case will never be reopened. We'll be as clean as that shirt. The case is closed. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, putting it on Christ's shoulders so that we might become the righteousness of God. That we might become in our standing before God as pure and as kind and as loving and as gracious and as selfless and as beautiful 
as Jesus Christ is. So what does Paul mean by the breastplate of righteousness? I've said already that the breastplate was to protect the vital organs, the heart and the lungs. And that's why it's one of the most important parts of the armor. The best way to kill a Roman soldier is to get him when he's not wearing his breastplate. You knife him, put a sword right through his heart when he's not wearing his breastplate. And Satan, if he wants to destroy you as a Christian, if he wants to kill your passion for Jesus Christ, if he wants to destroy your witness for Jesus Christ, the place that he's going to aim for an attack is in the area of your righteousness. Revelation 12 verse 10, Satan is referred to as the accuser of our brethren. He's brilliant at accusing I don't know how many times Satan has whispered to me, sometimes even as I stand up to preach, Mark, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You're a dirty, rotten scoundrel. You're a dirty, rotten sinner. Well, yes, I am. Tell me something I don't know. In my natural state... In my natural state, I am, in my own filthy rag, righteousness way, I am a sinner. But thankfully, my breastplate is not made up of my righteousness, but his, Christ's righteousness. My salvation is not dependent upon my righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. Zechariah chapter 3, there's a beautiful portrayal of this. The prophet has a vision of Joshua. It's not Joshua from Joshua. It's not the Joshua that led people into the promised land. It's another Joshua. But the prophet has a vision of this man called Joshua standing in filthy robes before the angel of the Lord. And Satan's also there. He's doing what he does best. He's brilliant at accusing, trying to condemn, likes to put accusing you, making you feel bad, making you feel condemned, making you feel you're not a Christian, making you feel you're not forgiven. And he he loves to put that on you like a, a big wet towel or blanket on your shoulders. And here in this vision in Zechariah, Satan is there accusing and accusing and accusing this guy, Joshua. And the Lord, we're told, rebukes Satan. And he says, is this, man, is this not a brand or a stick plucked from the fire? In other words, is Joshua not a man that God has reached down and saved and pulled out? I know I am. Um, a brand plucked from the fire. And the Lord orders those who are there to remove these filthy clothes from Joshua. And the Lord says, See, I've removed your iniquity. I have removed your iniquity from you. And I will clothe you with rich robes. Joshua receives a new white turban, new white robes. He's clean. He's clean. He's pure like a brand new shirt. What a beautiful prophetic message 
of what the cross is all about. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Isaiah 61.10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness, the cleansing power of Christ, the righteousness of God. We have a wonderful Savior. And the truth about the breastplate of righteousness, which I'm speaking of today, it hooks in, it clicks in to the Word of God the belt of truth. You know, as we respond by faith to what Christ has done that day on Calvary, as we recognize our sin, as we confess our sin, as we are like that woman, broken before God, and we're given our lives to Christ, we are united with Christ, we're declared righteous before God. And those sins that keep coming up from your past, justice has been satisfied. They're done. The case is closed. It's finished. Let them go because Christ has let them go. Christ has cleansed you. We're dressed in Christ's righteousness so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin but he sees Christ's righteousness. You know, Christ doesn't deserve to take our sin on the cross, but he takes it. You don't deserve and I don't deserve to take his righteousness, but we take it and say, thank you very much. It's the great exchange of the cross. Job's question how can a man be made righteous? It's only through the cross. Only through what happened that day at Calvary and then our response to it in faith. Paul writes, I don't have a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. I put my trust in him at what happened at Calvary, I recognize my feelings, I confess my sin, and I'm declared righteous before God. And the woman in Simon's house, a broken woman, longing to find forgiveness, longing to find cleansing, Christ looks into her eyes, and everybody else in that room would have condemned her and kicked her out the door. Christ looks her straight in the eyes and says, Your sins... And I know they are many, but your sins are forgiven. Now, I must close, but, but um, before I do, let me just remind you what Paul says. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the spiritual forces of evil. And why do you think that is? Why do you think Christians are a thorn in the flesh of Satan himself. 
Why? It's because of the message of the cross. Paul in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation for, to everyone that believes. You know, and today when we're preaching Christ is the only way to heaven, the only way into the presence of God, you know, many outside will go, that's discrimination. The Bible doesn't discriminate against anybody. Whosoever believes and comes to Christ doesn't discriminate against anybody. But the Bible will also tell you straight down the line the truth. He's the only way. Christ is the only way. Every other way is a dead end. The cross, says Paul, is the power of God unto salvation. You know, Paul's been stepped on, he's been beaten, he's been bruised, he's been thrown in prison. Principalities, power, spiritual forces of evil, they try every trick in the book to stop him bringing people to the cross. Because the cross is the power of God unto salvation and it's the only way. Satan is out to stop people from hearing the message of the cross that's why if you're caught bringing a Bible to someone in North Korea, you're immediately executed. Satan's strategy stopped the message of the cross at all costs because the power of God, the cross is the power of God unto salvation. It's why there are so many pastors imprisoned in China. Stop the preaching of the cross at all costs it's precious because it's the way of restoring God's image in you that you might be declared righteous before God and gain heaven itself. Now, unfortunately, the West isn't exempt from Satan's strategy, but in the West, Satan's a lot more subtle. His strategy is get people caught up in money and cars and the luxurious comforts of this life They'll have no time to think about their souls and no time to think about Christ on the cross or what the significance is. And, you know, it spills over even into churches to cause Christians to have apathy and indifference to what happened 2,000 years ago at Calvary. You know, in a moment, we're going to sing our final hymn, and I believe it's the only appropriate hymn that there is to close this message with, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit may burn each verse into our very souls. Let's pray. Father, we just, we thank you. Lord, we are sinners saved by grace. Lord, we do not have any decent righteousness of our own. Our righteousness of our own natural selves are like filthy rags. But it's your righteousness that we wear each day. Worthy to come into your presence each day, not because of our own righteousness, but because you have cleared the way for us through your death on the cross that we might come into the presence of your Father. And we thank you so much for that. Just pray, Lord, that as we sing this final hymn,
that these words may burn into our souls, that our appreciation of what you have done may grab us and grip us and change our lives forever. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. When I survey the wondrous cross. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.